Hello, and welcome to the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma, TraumaCast series. I'm your host, Dr. Babak Sarani, Associate Professor of Surgery at the George Washington University Hospital. Joining us today is Dr. Bob Baracco, Chief of the Section of Geriatric Trauma at the Lehigh Valley Medical Center in Allentown, Pennsylvania. There's an increasing awareness of the very high incidence of concussion with long-term cognitive consequences in both adults and pediatrics. Whereas in the past, this entity was felt to be short-lived, trauma surgeons today are faced with patients who continue to have symptoms that can hinder their quality of life and are often tasked with determining when patients can return to sports or other activities that may expose them to the risk of recurrent head injury. Today, we'll be discussing these issues with Dr. Baracco. Welcome. Thank you. Let's start by defining what concussion is and the incidence of concussion in adults. Well, the first thing to get across is that concussion is a traumatic brain injury. Most folks don't realize that. When you say those words, then all of a sudden the light goes off. Wow. Because they think concussion, they associate it with some of the euphemisms they use in sports, like, oh, he was dinged up. Well, I'm here to tell you there's no such thing as a ding anymore, okay? You've got to take these things seriously. Very high incidence, especially in young adults and young athletes. And uh, so you mentioned young adults, young athletes. Is there an association between uh, age and probability and severity of concussion in the adults only? Not so much with severity. And a lot of those grading scales, which we can talk about later, seem to fail. They put a little too much emphasis in, in places where it doesn't belong. But as far as uh, prevalence in, in the youngsters, absolutely. Uh, really, the most common group is the young adults, but the highest rates, because the denominator is young children. So anywhere in that population, you see a very, very high incidence. It does tend to decrease with age. As you get older, you have less incidence of concussion. I wonder if that's just because of less incidence of uh, of activities that predispose you to having a concussion. Absolutely. And I think also, as you get older, a higher incidence of things like blood thinners and et cetera that can actually predispose to bleeding rather than simple concussion. But uh, the interesting thing now that we're starting to find is not only does there seem to be an age difference, but there seems to be a, a gender difference, that females, athletes especially, seem to have a higher incidence Maybe it's related to increased reporting, I'm not sure, but also that they may have somewhat worse and different outcomes than their male counterparts. Uh, generally, though, in females, it's more person equipment related. They get hit by a ball, they get hit by a stick. It's not so much the person to person impact, if you will, like you see with hockey and football. However, uh, my own little um, soapbox, I guess, is that uh, female athletes are much less protected in the head area than males because they're not supposed to be contacting each other, i.e. in field hockey and lacrosse. There's no checking allowed. Well, again, I've been to many a game. My daughter's very involved with those sports, both of them. And yet you see sticks to the head, inadvertent, obviously. You see the field hockey ball coming up into the eyes, many a, a periorbital injury. In fact, in our area now, we've, we've seen it mandated that they at least wear eye protection for field hockey. So I think that's part of the reason in females you do tend to see a little bit of a gender difference. And I was actually going to bring that very point up in that uh, what you just said is, is absolutely accurate, I think. But in addition, men tend to wear more protective equipment, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the male contact sports in general have helmets, whereas female sports do not. That's absolutely true. Uh, not only that, uh, I think there's a lot of training um, in hitting people correctly, if you will. But the main thing is the mouth guards. Uh, Mouth guards are really the only thing that's ever been studied to actually help prevent concussions. Believe it or not, helmets have not been shown to do that. 
part of the problem is you're not going to really find a randomized controlled trial on whether helmets work or not. So that's part of the reasoning. But you're not going to take them away at this point and try anything without it. So all you can do is in-lab tests about the mechanics and the physics and physiology of concussion. And you really can't test whether or not it changes outcomes. And so what are the presenting signs and symptoms of concussion? Well, again, there can be many, uh, very, very varied. Probably one of the most common is headache uh, in up to 70%. Uh, however, some people would say, well, if there's no loss of consciousness, there's no concussion. Well, that's not true. Uh, loss of consciousness really only occurs in a minority, about 10% uh, of the cases. Now, according to the CDC website, and I'll reference this actually frequently today because I think it's the best single source for concussion information, both for practitioners and the lay public, uh, it's actually into four different categories. Your thinking, remembering, or cognitive areas, your physical areas, your emotional or mood areas, and your sleep areas. So you can have symptoms in any one of these areas. So again, a presenting symptom of a concussion may just be sleeping more than usual. It may be something like irritability or sadness. And, and actually, males tend to have more of that symptomatology. Uh, and then, of course, we talked about the headache. We'll talk about dizziness and balance because that's a little bit of a new area in the last consensus conference that has received attention is the vestibular or balance issues. And then things like difficulty concentrating, school problems, that sort of thing. Is there a gold standard for the diagnosis? To my estimation, no, there really isn't a gold standard. Uh, it used to be just based on symptoms. But now that we've seen the advent of some of these uh, neuropsych tests and neurocognitive tests, uh, I think we're seeing that more and more becoming a standard of evaluation, especially in the schools. In NFL, college, and now down beginning in the high school levels, we've seen some of these tests given preseason and then at some regular interval or when they're injured so that you can establish a baseline for these kids on these tests. And I think these tests can certainly help assist in the decision-making process. It's not only symptoms anymore. And then you also throw into it vestibular testing. The last international conference uh, on concussions, the third one in 2008, really actually put forward the issues uh, regarding vestibular testing as well because they can get some pretty severe balance problems afterwards. Do we know on a um, more basic science level or more uh, anatomic level what's happening and why do they have all these various symptoms? Well, there's a controversy, actually. There are people who like to think it's a more, it's a more structural injury, and there are people who like to think it's a more metabolic injury. Remember, this can occur not only from a direct blow, but from any jolt that will actually cause your brain to slosh around, obviously, within the skull. So it doesn't have to be a direct hit. It could just be some sort of jolt that your body takes where your head might snap, snap back, those types of things that can, uh, can gauge a concussion. Uh, but as far as, um, as, far as anything um, specific, they looked at functional MRIs. They do see changes in hot spots where there might be some uh, metabolic mismatch, if you will. And so I think we're just starting to understand some of that. They're starting to look at also some biochemical markers, some things in the literature like uh, S100 enolase, those types of things. So I think we're going to find it's more and more the metabolic insult that especially predisposes the post-concussive syndrome. It's kind of similar to the idea of when you have a, an actual brain injury, which is caused by bleeding, and you don't want hypoxia or hypotension for fear of that watershed area. I think it's going to be the same thing with concussion, but they're just starting to define some of that with this functional testing. And so that was the basis of my question is, is there a role right now for functional MRI or other types of imaging? 
Functional MRI was mentioned in the last consensus conference, but as of yet, its role is really not well defined in the clinical setting. It has been used in experimental settings, again, correlating with the neuropsych or neurocognitive testing in conjunction with that to make a better decision, but it hasn't really received, uh, I would say, the attention that it may receive in the years to come. So we're still left with ultimately uh, clinical testing and maybe some psychometric or vestibular type uh, testing to augment the symptoms. That's right. And it's, it's written, uh, some of the articles actually quote up to almost a 30% increase in yield for diagnosis of concussion using the neurocognitive or neuropsychiatric testing. Is there a way to uh, assess the severity of a concussion and start comparing patient to patient? They tried that uh, in the last consensus conference before the third, the second conference. They actually started to recommend some measure of severity, but again, it didn't pan out and they didn't recommend it in the, in the next guidelines. Um, 19, I believe there is concussion scales. None of them have really panned out because they emphasize loss of consciousness. And of course, as we know, that's a minority of the patients. And Consistent with what you said earlier, the vast majority I see in the uh, patients that I see in follow-up in the office, by far the majority, uh, complain of ongoing headache, um, and it can be quite debilitating. So what do you do about that? Well, again, anyone can develop this, what we call, I guess, post-concussive syndrome, and it can last for a varying period of time. Uh, As far as when patients present with those syndromes, We actually are fortunate at Lehigh Valley uh, Health Network to have a concussion clinic. We just developed that within the last year. They're sprouting up actually all over the country. And uh, of course, multidisciplinary generally in nature and not only take care of the testing and follow-up but also the symptomatology that follows. If I'm seeing somebody in my office who hasn't been to one of those uh, clinics, et cetera, um, I will often refer them on to one or onto a neurologist or a neuropsychologist, neuropsychiatrist Uh, for further symptom management at that point. Uh, I believe that early on, the things you want to do or you want to avoid the aspirin non-steroidals, especially within the first couple of days, for fear of inducing bleeding complications after the brain injury. Um, Tylenol, again, a mainstay. uh, Narcotics, uh, if need be. uh, But uh, certainly avoiding the non-steroidals. Beyond that, uh, the treatment of concussion symptoms may involve uh, also cognitive, behavioral, therapy, things like physical, occupational, vestibular therapy, depending on what problems they're exhibiting. So that's why it really has to be, at best, it's really a multidisciplinary uh, approach to these issues. And as you said, the majority of patients that we're going to see on the adult side uh, with a bad concussion are going to be young. I assume by that you mean somewhere Mm -hmm. in the neighborhood of 20, 35, something like that years old. Yeah, it's certainly certainly not as common in the geriatric population. But yes, you're talking uh, a, a disease more of young adults uh, than older adults. And so these people are active, which is probably why they got their concussion in the first mm-hmm. place. How do you decide when they can start going back to their activities of daily living, be it including uh, sports or not including sports? Well, certainly for sports, it's uh, been pretty straightforward and established. It's what's called a graduated return to play. So once you've been without symptoms for 24 hours, Uh, after physical and cognitive rest, because again, that's some of the things being described, is that not only do you need some physical rest till your symptoms resolve, but also cognitive rest. Um, Nothing like video games and things like that uh, for a period of time until they go away. And then again, depending on whether or not you have the availability of this neuropsychiatric testing, once these things start to return to baseline or return to normal, you then have a graduated increase in activity. So you go to light aerobic activity first, You then go to maybe sports-specific if you're involved in sports, things like running drills, uh, those types of things. 
Then you go to non-contact training drills, then full contact practice. Now, any step along the way, if your symptoms recur, you've then got to go back not only a step, but you've got to then be symptom-free again for 24 hours before you uh, proceed on again uh, to the next step. So that's really the, the, the gold standard, I think, if you will, in graduated return to play. As far as other adults and things that you can do to get better, again, stuff that I've mentioned already, um, physical rest, cognitive rest, avoiding sports that can lead to another concussion, especially during the times that you have symptoms, uh, and then again, be guided by a healthcare professional. CDC guidelines recommend, obviously, you seeing a healthcare professional who they men, then they may choose to refer you on to a specialist like a, a neurologist, neuropsychologist, neuropsychiatrist, or a rehab medicine specialist. Um, again, the easiest things that you can do is take it easy while you have these symptoms, talk with a professional, and again, try and be smart about the things that you're doing. And so aside from um, activities such as sports and physical activities, mm -hmm. considering that we're talking about uh, young adults, what do you tell them about return to either uh, college mm -hmm. or work? Well, again, I think this is obviously guided by symptoms. And again, if, if they have been tested uh, with neuropsychometric testing and vestibular testing, uh, these really guide your return to activity. Uh, if it's purely on a clinical basis, and, and again, these, uh, this testing is not available everywhere uh, yet. I think in the future it will be, as most of these tests now are web-based. Uh, but I think, again, we're talking about guiding you back as a graduated return. Uh, once you've been without symptoms for a sufficient period of time, then slowly introducing uh, these activities again. Um, even so, things so like balancing your checkbook can, can make your brain work a little harder than normal. So the, again, for that first period of time after your concussion, you want to avoid even those types of things if at all possible. Well, that answers my question then, which was uh, you may end up having to write a lot of stay home from work type notes uh, for these patients. Absolutely. Uh, certainly, again, literature says at least till symptoms resolve for 24 hours. And again, I refer people to the CDC guidelines, www.cdc.gov backslash concussion. All the information you need is there on how to guide your patients and also for your patients that you can get handouts, you can get brochures and things like that that you can have in your office to help educate people. But you're right, that brings up the actual point of who do we have to educate? You're right, we don't only have to educate the people, the patients we have to, and their families, we have to educate coaches, we have to educate employers that this is really something that deserves some attention. And again, a little bit more caution on the front side can mean better back to work status on the longer term. So I think that's something that we have to really focus on is educating these folks that, hey, this is, this is something serious and let's be careful. And uh, to try to put some perspective around this thing, um, what's the general timeline for recovery or is it just too variable? Most of them really resolve within seven to 10 days. Uh, as we've used functional MRI and neuropsych neuropsychiatric testing, we've seen effects out to 21 days. But the vast majority of them will get better within seven to 10 days. And how do you decide who needs to proceed on and see a neurologist or who can just simply be seen either in your office or just a uh, concussion clinic? Well, in general, in our practice, we will refer uh, these folks, especially if they're young athletes, onto concussion clinic to make sure that they're monitored appropriately. Many of our schools in our area also have the neuropsychiatric testing, so they're not going to send a kid back until they test back to normal. That helps a great deal. And again, if you have the involvement of the coaches and the parents, I said families before, 
because I've seen all too many a case where the family's really concerned that the kid's got a scholarship potential coming up this year and it's a senior year and he's got to go back and play if he's going to sign the letter of intent. And they really push the kids as well as the coaches. So both groups have to be educated that it's something that's serious that has to be dealt with and it is much safer to deal with with the proper testing and the proper evaluations. And you have a neurologist in your concussion clinic. Actually, it's run uh, directly, I believe, by our neurosurgical folks um, in conjunction with other specialties, uh, our physical therapists, et cetera, that do the vestibular uh, evaluation. Um, and uh, again, a lot of area rehabs also have the same type of thing. Uh, one of our area rehabs, before we had our own concussion clinic, has a post-concussive syndrome uh, clinic that you can send folks to. So. The first thing I would say, again, especially if you have difficult to control symptoms, you have an athlete, you have someone who really needs to, to be followed, uh, I would recommend uh, getting another specialist involved. Uh, if you have a clinic in your area, that's great. Um, if you have a specialist in one of these areas, that's also terrific. But again, all it simply requires, American Academy of Neurology listed a position statement, is a neurologist or a physician who is properly trained in the evaluation and treatment of concussion. And I think that is going to expand out um, eventually to include folks like sports, obviously sports medicine, and it's gonna include trauma professionals as well. We just don't have a handle on, since this is all new, how are we gonna define and how are we going to be certain folks are properly trained mm -hmm. in evaluating and treatment and being kept up to date in this area. That's, I think, part of the reason why these clinics have propped up is that, again, these are folks that neurology, neurosurgery, neuropsychiatry, sports medicine, they've already been dealing with it. But who defines a practitioner that's properly trained? That's still yet to be decided. Mm -hmm. um, but it does appear, as I said, in the uh, AAN position statement. Now, we've been talking mostly about uh, the young adult, right, the 20-some-odd-year-old adult, which is right. the majority of the patients. Right. Do you alter your strategy at all or your recommendations at all if, by some circumstance, you actually get an older adult in their 50s or 60s? We don't alter our recommendations as far as the basics. Again, rest, physical rest, cognitive rest, till symptoms are gone, et cetera. Obviously, stay away from predisposing uh, contact sports and things like that. But if they're really older adults that aren't uh, predisposed to those types of things, that's probably how it's altered the most, is that, again, you're considering this as a one-time event and an uh, accident, if you will, quote-unquote. Of course, we know there's no accidents. But... Um, Again, that, that recurrence, the probability of that recurrence may not be there. You figure most of these older patients will have sustained a concussion, either from fall from standing kind of thing, right. or perhaps in a motor vehicle collision. Right. Do you restrict them from driving? Uh, that's something certainly that needs to be considered. Somebody who's definitely symptomatic, yes, should be restricted from driving. Well, this is certainly a uh, evolving area of treatment for trauma surgeons. I think the prevalence is increasing. The incidence is certainly increasing, but so, as is the prevalence as these patients linger, uh, and partly potentially because we are just more aware of concussion and are now diagnosing it just more frequently. Yeah. Um, having said that, it's clearly a major public problem, and so I sincerely appreciate you taking the time to come and uh, discuss it with us. 
uh, I suspect we'll have you back in a um, couple of years to give us an update on uh, on the fur- fur- further progress of yeah. the treatment and management of concussion. That'd be great. I, I, I definitely look forward to that. Um, just in closing, too, from my point of view, I just want to make sure folks know, you know where to go for this information. Um, we certainly recognize, as I mentioned earlier, that not all areas of the country have access to neurologists, neuropsychiatrists, and those kind of specialists. So I do think that it's going to be incumbent upon us as trauma professionals uh, to help get proper training, if you will, and better define what that training is uh, going forward uh, for the populations that we serve that obviously can't uh, avail themselves of those other specialties um, when they're needed. Um, So I think that's important. As far as the websites and the information, again, www.cdc.gov backslash concussion, uh, American Academy of Neurology position statement, and then the other information was from the third international uh, conference uh, on concussions. So that's the primary sources of all the recommendations that we are, are following at present. All right. Thank you. We've been speaking today with uh, Dr. Uh, Bob Baracco regarding concussion adults and its ramifications. I'd like to thank you again for taking the time to review the topic with us. This concludes another edition of the East TraumaCast. For copyright information and disclaimers, please visit us on east.org. For the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma, I'm Dr. Babak Sarani.